0: Welcome to Start Canada Podcast, where we interview startup founders, innovators and thought leaders from the heart of Canada who are challenging the status quo, scaling their business and bringing new ideas to life. Tune in with me, your host, Margot Miller, to hear firsthand exactly how they did it. Start Canada Podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank. In this episode of Start Canada podcast, we speak with Darcy Adaman, the founder and CEO of Make Music Matter. They're an organization using a unique form of music therapy to help survivors of conflict and trauma. And I was curious to chat with Darcy about his background as a music producer and how it brought him here now, and really about what it's like to start a not-for-profit or a charity in the heart of Canada, and especially one that works internationally. So we get into that in this episode, And if you aren't already intrigued, I'll tell you that this innovative program, which is called Healing in Harmony, was created and scaled in partnership with a Nobel Laureate, who we're gonna talk a little bit about today. And now this organization operates in eight countries around the world. Darcy himself has a very impressive background working internationally as a music and video producer, resulting in several Juno nominations. You might, for example, be familiar with his CD single, Song for Africa, And all the while, at the same time, delivering outstanding humanitarian work, so much that he was just awarded the Meritorious Service Cross by the Governor-General of Canada. So all that said, if you want to learn about starting an international charity, or you too see the possibilities of using music for healing, then don't miss this episode. And without further ado, here today, Darcy, welcome to Start Canada Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: You bet. We're excited to have you. And I want you to just start by telling us a bit about the journey of Make Music Matter. How did it start to kind of, what is it today?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I could probably talk the whole episode just on the the, the journey part, so (laughs) I I, I will redact it. But what really happened was I started my life as a music producer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many years ago, I was living in Philadelphia, just being a producer. And life started to be quite good. You know, success started to happen. And when you're a successful producer, especially in that era, you just live in the studio. You know, we call it, you know, it's the cave. You just, you, you, you are not part of normal society yep. that way. So to take breaks, I would surf the net back when you had to like dial it up and go to the one computer that <laughs> right. in the office that had the, uh, the internet. I started to read about the AIDS pandemic in sub-Saharan Africa and it just blew my mind. Like just the, the numbers and the injustice gap and how is this happening? How is this not in the daily news every day in Winnipeg? It just, it floored me. And it was my first exposure to it. And I kind of got obsessed with it. And so I started to do these one-off projects, the first being the Song for Africa uh, CD single. So everything was led by passion. I honestly learned everything the hard way along the way. And each step my intention was to stop and go back to quote unquote, my regular life.
0: Right. To the producing, to being in the studio.
1: Yeah. Less pressure and all sort of stuff. And it's one of those things that just never happened. Um, And in particular, in 2009 in Rwanda, the moment we discovered the idea for healing and harmony was a five week trip in Rwanda where we're recording uh, an album and filming a documentary. And within a span of a few days, two things happened. Uh, One, we gave local kids a fun day of recording. We had one day off in five weeks. Let's give them a a fun day of recording. So the rest of the
0: time you were recording with artists from North America or other areas of the world in Rwanda, but then there was one day where you were working with the local kids. Okay. Exactly. Just, you know,
1: we thought we had a day off. We have the equipment. We built the studio here. Let's give them a fun day. So we drove three hours to, through the hills of Rwanda to this little one room schoolroom. And we noticed that the whole community had been waiting for us for three hours. The room was packed. Kids were literally crawling through the windows trying to get in. And they're dressed up in homemade hip-hop outfits. And nice. they knew the lyrics to the latest rap songs, even though they had no electricity. lived in mud huts on the hillsides of Rwanda. Huh. So that was a moment of, oh my, music really is that sort of international language. It galvanizes communities. and as trite as that may sound, it's really true, uh, especially in those areas. The second thing that happened is that they gave us the lyrics of songs they had written for us to record for them, and it was all really heavy subject matter: the rights not to sell their bodies to live another day, their desire to go to school instead, uh, what hiv AIDS had done to their community at that point. Mm-hmm. There was not one frivolous "I want to go to a club and dance" song. Right. And these were all young 14, 15- year-old youth. And we gave them no direction what to write about.
0: In advance of them coming Not, with those lyrics. Yeah.
1: It was just what was on their chat, what was on their minds. Yeah. And what we learned was that music was an acceptable way to talk about these taboo subjects. Too traumatizing sometimes to talk about it one-on-one like this, but through a catchy song, completely right. acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the, the spark of, of healing and harmony of thinking, oh my, this is something that we can do better than anybody else you know cuz we're a bunch of professional music industry people and right. I, that was kind of the genesis of the idea
0: what about the fact though and you're you know you're mentioning that music can be healing and can mm. help them share their stories and you guys have this music background how did you marry that with needing the kind of psychology background or the mental health background and the ability to kind of take that to the next step and ensure that it's that it's helping in in a positive way
1: yeah that's it's a great question and it was something that was a struggle you know, for for a very long time because, you know, people always looked at the sort of the flashiness uh, of the music piece and went and and dismissed us. Um, So we knew we had to be rigorous on the back end scientifically, medically to do that psychosocial piece. And the only way we could do that is by not cutting any corners. We did three years of development work in Rwanda alone of just community assessments, baselines, piloting, testing, reiterating the model, and making sure we've melded those two worlds together of the music and the the psychological aspect of it.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so then you personally, though, this sounds like a quick journey when we tell it this way, right? And there's obviously a lot more to the story. Um, How did you know you could make it work?
1: You know, the truth is it was just gut instinct. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's the absolute, yeah. that's the absolute truth. And, but that doesn't mean we didn't do all the steps to prove that gut instinct because we did and we continue to do so. But each step was just frankly, a bit of a leap of faith knowing I, I know this is the right thing to do. And then we'd have to do that back end work each time to, to, to prove it.
0: Did you have some major people that helped you along the way? especially at the beginning when you were kind of developing this idea?
1: Well, it's really, it was, it's a really interesting journey. journey. And in particular, I think it's good for any entrepreneur. What, what, I, what I also learned the hard way is that when you're trying to get an idea off the ground, when you're sort of pushing that boulder up the hill, you're kind of left alone. Nobody wants your job because you don't have a job. Your job is taking risk and putting your own money into things. And you don't know if it's going to work out. No one really you know, cares. It's not until you have some success that all of a sudden, you know, everybody comes out to help. So there was great difficulty in, in, in those first years. I mean, to a very large extent, even to the extent of when we got major funding to open our flagship uh, studio at Pansy Hospital in, in, in the Congo, when I went to the first meetings in London, England, the the head of that organization at the time wouldn't look me in the eye.
0: The guy it, who funded you?
1: Funded me. Refused to, refused to shake my hand and eventually said to me, hey, the committee approved you. I didn't want to. I think this is a joke and hokey, you know, because again, he, serious humanitarian context and you're bringing music. Right. Um, But, you know, he got outvoted. We since did that work, you know, did real two and a half years of a research study that proved, you know, medically this thing works like magic. To his credit, he has since came back and apologized to me because we're their most successful program ever
0: which is, which always makes him look good at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's nice that he eventually came back around, but how do you, at the time when you're facing that kind of criticism, right, you're working really, really hard. You're going into dangerous areas, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, you can see the effect the positive effects, but when you've got really strong critics, what do you say to yourself or what do you need to do to kind of overcome that? Like, what's the mental health piece of that for you?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, You know, I've been able to start to look back a little bit now that we have sort of breakout success. And, you know, that was a rough 10 years, I can't lie. And what, what ends up happening, I think in any entrepreneur, if they're good or anybody with a passion, the further you get along, the more focused and myopic your view gets. You know what I mean? So it got to the point where my life was so laser focused on just this one thing. And I spent years only taking Christmas Day off that you almost didn't even see the, the other parts of it yeah. to, to, you know, to, to a certain extent. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that helps a little bit.
0: Do you miss just being a full-time producer? And I say just cause you're still working really hard yeah. then, but I mean, do you miss only having the one piece?
1: Um, oh, and I'm sorry to, to finish a- a- answering the, the previous question. Yeah. Um, the, where you get your strength from, and it sounds dramatic, but it's absolutely true. Is the more time you spend what we call in the field, in these areas, it gives you the strength that you need. Yes, it's very hard. It's it's very dangerous. I have lost friends. I have, myself, had many close calls. But it's always nothing in comparison to what the people that live there go through daily. Mm-hmm. Always. You know, mm-hmm. each one of our 5,000 plus participants that have gone through the program have a story that would blow your mind. Yeah if they have the strength and resiliency to get up and to try one more day how dare i not you know and that's what it really came down to like the more you do it it's almost like their strength rubs off on you a little bit
0: yeah when you were pushing through those tough years that you described of like people criticizing whether it was working or not and you really you knowing you were working so hard that kind of kept you coming back every day and i think that's a really yeah. good anecdote
1: yeah I, I i i really hold on to those stories personally i still do
0: and now today your humanitarian work has been honored. We mentioned mm-hmm. this in your, in when we recapped our episode at the beginning here, and you have a meritorious cross for service. And mm-hmm. this is from the governor general of Canada. What did that mean at that point? Was that some kind of validation like that of uh, the work you were doing or, you know, had there been maybe award, like awarded opportunities or moments along the way before that one that maybe felt like I'm on the right track? Yeah, it's, it's, <sighs>
1: I can't lie. I'm I'm happy I got it. Yeah, you know it's something that I can tell my mom. And congratulations for having gotten it. Yeah, (laughs) and that's it. it Is lovely, but what ends up happening is it's 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 a it's a quick pause. It's a beat. It's oh that's fantastic. Cool, comma. All right, let's get back to it. It works. You know, it 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 really is like that. And That's not for me to be, you know, a, a martyr. But that's the absolute truth because we're at the size now where every day you know, something is happening, you know, Christmas Eve, I woke up to a terrorist threat New Year's day. I woke up to one of our sites being attacked and I had to send security to Mm evac, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a constant thing. Um, as a side note for that award, I just found out yesterday, I get to, if a judge is not available, I get to preside over new Canadian swearing in ceremonies Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah.
0: That's pretty neat. You're doing so much work with people internationally that I feel like you would be a wonderful person to be a part of that ceremony. Yeah. That's great. Tell me a bit about the research that you were talking about a little bit before. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, you know, you get to this point where now you have the proof is in the pudding, right? You've got this research, but undertaking a research project is a lot of work Mm -hmm. as well. Um, do you and a lot of charities and not for profits do research to prove the value to the community that they're that they're doing in whatever the topic might be um in your case how long was that research project what did it look like and you know is it something that is going to help you moving forward now
1: yeah absolutely you 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 need that credibility it, it's not only it's not only that international credibility is something i tell my local partners regularly that even if i'm coming in and paying for this space, renting, bringing in income, paying for staff and helping, you know, to keep their lights on a little bit. If I can't continually prove on the best use of the space and, and time, I'm out. Right. It's the ethical thing to do. Because when you're in an active war zone, there, there's there's absolute zero room for anybody that cannot be 110% effective. You know, it's just the need is so great. So you need that formal research to continually prove Your value to that community. And it's very easy to come in, do something short term and make you feel good about yourself.
0: Right. Like that very first recording you did with the youth. Right. Right. They were crawling through the windows. They were really excited and you could have just left and said, wow, we did something so good that day.
1: But what ends up happening if you stop there is that builds distrust culturally because all these types of communities, especially in Africa, they're, they're used to getting the short end of the stick. They're used to being exploited, especially in the in nature of in an area like uh, the Congo, where we work a lot in. It goes back hundreds of years to King Leopold, who enslaved millions of people that sparked the, you know, the rubber industry, that sparked the automotive industry. So culturally, they're again, they're used to being exploited and they're reticent of outsiders, understandably. So if you come in short term, all you're doing is, is sort of emphasizing that. So you have to be able to prove yourself on the back end, and demonstrate you can do something that's going to create a sustainable change. And that's mm-hmm. where the you know that's where the research comes in, and that was a two and a half year project, at least about two hundred thousand dollars. I haven't checked the final research tally. Is so
0: much more than yeah. I think people realize if they haven't undertaken it. Yeah,
1: and you know what that demonstrates is that we score every participant uh, going in and out of the program, so we track their PTSD, anxiety, and depression going in. In going out, mm-hmm. and not only that, we prove that this works to reduce that trauma in an extremely significant way. We've been able to prove that that reduction in trauma sticks up to six months of them leaving the program, despite them living in an active conflict zone. Right, which is very you know that's that's a huge piece. Mm. So. And it's also a final missing piece for a lot of these communities. So you can have other charities and NGOs come in and help with skills training and you're teaching women to sew or giving them microfinancing opportunities, or even just physically the surgeries that people will need from the atrocities. But if they're so traumatized, you can't properly take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're so traumatized, how well are you going to do in school? Are you going to bother going to school? Right. Right. So... Um, it's a very important piece, that, that research piece and in particular what we do there.
0: Which makes me wonder at the very beginning, and am taking you back again here, but you now you have this research and so that's mm-hmm. going to be really strong for you guys to you know validate and, and to get continual funding and to be able to stay in these different areas and, and probably even expand, right? Mm-hmm. But at the very beginning, when you have this idea, so you go from, you know, really cool experience to saying, we want to actually put something in place that's going to be a long-term program yeah. where you've got physical people in place in that area of conflict or post-conflict. And because I know I understand it the way you describe it, you've got, you know, Psychologist, there. You've got people from the music side there. You've got the whole program is set up physically in place there because yeah. we're not doing virtual these days and in the, in, even in those areas. Yeah. Um, and so this to me sounds like a very early big price tag. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, how,
0: how did you overcome that? How did you get that first piece of funding?
1: Oh, well, all of it is, is continually a large, uh, price tag, quite, quite, quite <laughs> frankly. sure. Um, and, and I'll, I'll be completely, completely you know blunt blunt about it there, there was no no magic pill no whatever i i boot in the beginning i bootstrapped everything mm-hmm. i literally gave everything away i i didn't make any money for years upon years um i you know I, I, it's, it's not a woes me but but just to be truthful you know as you do this work even as we began to get successful and i'd be in audiences with the secretary general of the un and all this crazy you know and crazy incredible stuff i would have these meetings and then think oh shoot how am i going to eat today and you know it was just years of that you just had to keep you know pushing for sorry pushing forward that way
0: and I think, yeah, and it's not always me, I think it's really interesting because our, our audience for this show, right, are people who want to start businesses or have done so and who are learning through these conversations that we're having. And so when you think about starting a not-for-profit or starting a charity, I think there are some really strong realities to think about, right? Even though there's funding in place, a lot of the funding has to go directly to programming and things That's, like yeah. that, right? And so when you get into it, you know this. And so I think it's important that we share that, right? That there's years and years of work sometimes. And, and in your case, mm-hmm. it was the case um, to really get to a point where you can pay yourself and you can have staff that and people are comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting. And so um, I want to take it a little bit to the topic of actually starting a charity then. Sure. So you've got, you know, we've got these things in place now and and you you can relatively easily register a not-for-profit, kind yeah. of like registering a business, but there are certain parameters that you have to fulfill, right, to maintain that. So explain a little bit just the general process of what it's like to actually say, I've started a not-for-profit.
1: Yeah, and and I, you know, I am the, I'm the founder, <laughs> but, um, you know, didn't come from that side. Again, I, I came... I want to be clear, I came from the mm-hmm. side of, I was a professional music producer. I had this idea, I had a passion for it. I learned each step along the way. Most of the time, the hard way. Okay. Almost every time, the hard, the hard way. So, you know, the first thing you have to do is, is put together a board. And what you learn is you have to put together a board that are not just, there are not a bunch of people that are going to agree with you all the time. Because my, my saying is, it's my job to light fires. It's the board's job to make sure I don't burn the house down. So you need that tension there. Um, But you do need people you can trust. And then build it up to the framework of the basics. You know, get a good accountant that knows charity law and an NGO and a good lawyer to build, again, the sort of the the corporate framework and how things are going to go in your governance and your bylaws. We did all that, again, the hard way when it was like, oh, shoot, we should have done that step one year ago. Right. Um, but you did um, it
0: eventually when people were asking for it yes exactly (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, it's it's the truth i mean now we're quite sophisticated with all that but um so i urge people to if they're going to start it you know find a great accountant that will build that infrastructure from day one so you don't have to clean up anything from the past find a great lawyer that you trust as well find someone who knows charity compliance and governance build your policies just do those things it'll save years of headaches that you know, I have to go through.
0: See, that is interesting, though, because I think, like, I wonder if you did it again, would you actually do all those things that you're That's, preaching? You know, because it's yeah. like I think we all say that, and then
1: that is you, know, you probably got me there.
0: But but, <laughs> yeah. it's, but it would be very helpful, and there were headaches. Yeah, give me an example. You said you know learning the hard way a bunch of times. Can you think of an example? Well, I can.
1: I think I can. I can give you an example that goes back to the beginning of the idea that was a, that was a learning that was a learning curve. So again, so I didn't come directly from the humanitarian sector and it took me years to even understand like any industry has its lexicon. And that took a long time, quite yeah, frankly, a lot of acronyms in yeah. every
0: industry, not for profits and charities are the same.
1: That took me a long time as yeah. well, I admit. Um, but what you learn and what I learned the hard way is, you know, you, you can't save everybody and it's tragic. It, re- it really, truly is. Cause you know, I, I, uh, I'm leaving again to the Congo shortly and I'm at least trip 30 something. I've lost count at this point. So, I mean, this stuff is in your blood and bones at this point. Um, but again, the truth is you have to quantify who you can save. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wish people to learn that sooner than later, yeah. you know, cause again, I, I learned those things the hard way. So two very quick, you know, examples on to get, um uh, too too descriptive but you know in the congo years ago we we went for a little field visit deep in deep in the forest one day very deep into rebel territory we get to this hospital and um the local population is has aged dramatically from the stress they're they're surrounded by rebel groups so they've aged dramatically from the stress um which also means that we have to get out to this area before dark. Like The UN came up to us and said, you got to go. If the sun sets, you're dead. We, we hide at night and count the bodies in the morning. This is a UN commander told me this. Wow. And we met this lady at this hospital who had a heart problem that required her to go into the city for surgery. It was the only way to, to, to save her. But in order to take her, we'd have to go so slow we would not get out in time, like because the roads are very bumpy through the forest. There's no real roads. You're in a Land Cruiser trying to get right. through, and it was a two. Uh, it was in my uh, call, but it was a two-second judgment uh, by the sort of the head nurse there. Six people in the vehicle's lives to one person, maybe no. And yeah, that, and that was it, and that was a very you know, hard, hard lesson. And I, I I sat with her and I just said, I'm sorry, you can't, Yeah. Um, you know, what can I do? And she just said, whatever money you can give so I can be comfortable until I pass, you know, and give her all the money I had left. And that, and that was sure. it. So those types of lessons, which are very hard, I think anyone who wants to start to, uh, a not-for-profit or international charity that way, I think those—that's an important lesson to learn right away.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, you do have to quantify things, like you—you know—the way you put it a minute ago there, because there are funding goals that you have to hit, right? And to your point yeah. earlier, like how many people can we save this year? How many people's lives can we improve this year? And it does come down to number against number, and they'll give you a certain amount of money accordingly, right? And so yes. that's hard. Yeah,
1: it, it, yeah, it's—it's, it's, and I've been doing this for a long time, and it's still hard. Yeah, you know, and I hope I don't completely lose that, but. But, you know, that is something you have to, it's a calculus you always have to be making.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause you live here at the end of the day, but you visit there very often. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've been, you've been on the ground in these zones and, and creating this wonderful work, you know, and project that you've created and, and grown into this huge program mm-hmm. that it is now, uh, as part of it, you guys have also created kind of some other brands and companies within it. And yeah. so I understand that you have a 4 a records mm-hmm. now, um, and you have some partners on that. So maybe you can tell us a bit about that piece and what it's like to have a charity, but also some for-profit companies that are. Operate kind of that operate adjacent or within it. What does that look like from a business understanding standpoint?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting you brought that up because it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you this know, is good. Um, you know, in fact, we recently were just dealing this with this with with other experts giving advice. So, um, charities are allowed to own related businesses for profit, but you have to demonstrate their related businesses. Yep. And there's no hard and fast rules with the CRA. But you have to always be very careful that it looks like and functions in a way that's like you're not making too much money off of this, right? It's, you know, and I think
0: we've seen in the news some charities get in trouble with that, yes. right? And so this is, I think, a good lesson that you're telling us here. And and we did it for two
1: two reasons. One, we come from music, right? So if we're treating all our participants, we call them artists. We call them it's artists, not patients. Okay. So if we're truly treating them as real artists, we need to give them all the provisions any other artist in the world would have, which means, you know, record label and publishing and all that sort of stuff. And the second piece of that is no matter what intellectual property is created from our program.
0: Right. People are writing their own lyrics. They're performing the songs.
1: Exactly. So the genie's out of the bottle. What do you do with that? If you do nothing with it, that's unfair to the person that created it. Um, If you... If you personally profit from it, um, obviously, ethically, that's, you know, unacceptable. So you can't do that. Yet at the same time, what we came, (laughs) what happened with us is that as a charity, we can't have earned income on the books that way. As little as it is, we can't have on our audited financials that we have made money. We can't take grant money and make other money off of it. Right. And the final piece of that was, again, just as part of the ethos of the program of if we're rebuilding someone who's had a traumatic experience, rebuilding their self-worth and self-esteem, telling them they're signed to a record label and they're a real artist is huge. Like it, you know, it, it's still like, it makes me happy and I'm a professional and I'm, you know, not a kid anymore. And that still thrills me. Mm-hmm. Um, So to everybody that we work with, it's, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge deal. So we had to create A for A records on that side in order to administer, um, properly promote the music, administer it, and hopefully collect, you know, royalties from that. Yep. In order to do that, I thought, well we can't just put it out on soundcloud or something you know something like that we need to give them a platform and so we approached uh warner music canada and luckily steve kane the president there understood it right away it was a very quick meeting and just said i'm you know i'm in and gave us gave us a label deal and they've released all the albums you know it's on all the Spotify, Apple, all, all the platforms that you can think of yep. um, out in the world. And I think we're nearing 30 albums out already on, wow. on, on that as well. And it does a lot. Like I've been in Congo or in other places in the world where where I've gone to the, you know, the women who have suffered things that are just utterly unimaginable that I won't mention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you suffer trauma like that, you feel like, first of all, you feel like you're the only person in the world's gone through it even though intellectually they know that's not true. Right. Um, you know, it also it's very isolating. You feel it takes all your power away. You live in a war zone. You've been uh, sexually violated to an extreme that you're in a hospital. All your power is taken away. Yeah. But I can go up to them and say, no, 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 that's not true. Look, you're an artist. That's important in society. Look, your song, your story is on Spotify. People are listening to it all over the all world. Over, yeah. Blows their minds. It really does. It makes them feel like, oh my God, people are hearing me. Every human wants to be heard and seen, right? Um, and it just it breaks those walls, and it does wonders for again rebuilding somebody uh, back up that way.
0: Yeah, this is the piece of the work that you're doing that is so positive and that is so fun to hear you talk about. It. You can even feel kind of yeah, the energy, right, when you talk about that positive piece. And I think you mentioned in a separate conversation, too, about how you, it even sometimes gets on the radio in those countries and how yeah. that can make a difference. So that's part of it, too. That's the sharing their story.
1: Yeah. And, and my favorite story, that because I, I was there for that, there's a particular song uh, called The Criminal Father, which which basically calls out men in society who either conduct the rapes. Allows them to go on. Maybe it's a husband that have, has kicked his wife out for being raped. No fault of her own, of course. Mm-hmm. Or the community, shunned her Post. Uh, so it's a, it's a song that goes on the offensive and calls all the men out. So when that song had been played on the sort of the morning radio, uh, the military would call in and complain and say, stop playing that song. We're the good guys, quote unquote. We're not doing that. And it's a complete lie. Mm. And I just love the idea of redefining power, you know, because somebody with the guns and bullets is scared with somebody with the songs. Right. That's immensely powerful. Um, And that sort of translates uh, into the program, you know, all all around the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I have to imagine that's quite empowering.
1: Oh, it's incredible. Yeah.
0: I know you were talking a little bit about the model and how mm-hmm. you have a foray in order to give some, you know, revenue back yeah. to the people who are writing the, and creating the, this art. And so in your case, it's quite complicated, even on top of that, though, because many of the people that you're dealing with are living in extreme poverty. So in that case, they may not, in correct me if I'm wrong, but may not have addresses or may not have, you know, identification to be able to do that. So what did you figure out there?
1: Yeah, that, that was um, also about... Well, minimum, well, two years, year and a half at least of uh, uh, of work because it's hard to own intellectual property if you don't have the same things that the West, our Western culture recognizes. Like right. a bank account, a physical address that's not two huts down the hill to the left kind of thing, um, you know, or a social insurance number. You know, mm. you technically are stateless. You're so poor, you're stateless. And what I learned also the hard way is that I thought that would be a simple concept for people to understand. So when I would, you know, at first, Warner had been nothing but fantastic. But, you know, going to Warner or to uh, Socan, who administers the publishing rights for Airplane Radio, going to them explaining, it, it took so long for people to wrap their heads around, what do you mean they don't have an address? Like, what do you, you know, no, you live in a slum. Like, you... Again, you technically don't exist as a human being. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is the scale of that. It's not just a few people. It's, right. you know, it's, it's millions upon millions upon millions of people are like this. Mm-hmm. So we had to create whole new systems. Um, and in some cases, with SOCAN, a new bylaw you know, um, to, for these artists to own their rights to the music and get the royalties. And mm-hmm. it's, it's taken a long time, but in December, actually we started administering back royalties. It's not a lot, but we're actually, we're, we're giving remittances back. to. People. I mean, that's pretty
0: exciting though. Cause it sounds like quite a complicated process to be able to do that. So, um, for you, certainly the finance professionals and the, uh, the lawyers along the way, I'm sure have been a big part of helping you. Like you mentioned, like you alluded to before setting things up early. Yes. I'm sure they've helped along the way. Um, now at this point you have gone through so much you've defined a lot of you've explained a lot of things to us that were hard along the way but is there is there a defining moment of of figuring it out or is there one of the pieces of this puzzle that you look back on and think after that everything got easier
1: well you know beyond some major funding breakthroughs there there was well, I, I think two major moments and unfortunately, like most things in life, there's, it's never just a simple aha, aha moment where like, everything is, right. here's a new chapter. Everything is fine now. <laughs> yeah. Everything is a gradient. Everything is progress you know, incrementally, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the, the program started to have success. And then uh, our beloved partner, Dr. McQuaid, in 2018 won the Nobel Peace Prize. That helped tremendously, just you know, to say the least, to get recognized. At that, it just does not get any bigger. Right. Um, at, at that level was was fantastic. And um, you know, case in point, his book comes out this year, and it's an Oprah book pick. So it's going to do quite well. Are you uh, guys
0: mentioned in the book? Do you know? I don't
1: know yet. I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, interesting. So okay, We'll have good. to keep an eye out. I am on the book tour, but that's, huh. that's later. Yeah um that was a you know uh a a major uh for sure a major piece of it um another was actually just a small anecdote which is funny the things you end up remembering in life Mm -hmm. and it's just a small one that really turned it around for me a few years ago and you know i was observing one of our studio sessions and so you're 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 in congo and let's just say i'm the only white Heavily tattooed music producer that hangs around Congo. There, like, right, perfect. There's, there's, there's nobody else, right? Um, so I, I kind of, um, you know, I'm sort of an alien in, in that regard. And so when I'm observing sessions and writing notes and trying to improve things, I, I one day thought, like, what the heck do they think of me? Like, who's this strange-looking man sitting in the back, of, you know, observing their their studio sessions and work? So I asked our our lead. Psychologist in that group said, "Do me a favor. Ask them what do they think. How do they think I see them?" And I was really curious of what ah. they thought my perception of them was. And because we, you know, we weren't talking formally. I don't interrupt sessions or right. anything like that. And uh, you know, a lady stood up who was a survivor of extreme sexual violence, and you know, translated from Swahili said, "I used to think you saw us as completely worthless." human beings because of what had happened to us but now i think you see us as artists and like that was like the moment even though we do the scientific backing and all that stuff as we talked about but that was the moment of like oh okay we we, we got it i'm good i can I want to keep living, but if it doesn't happen, I'm cool. Like that that could be okay for me.
0: That's a great story. And I think even earlier, you know, we talked about the Meritorious Cross and like moments of validation. It sounds like that was a really high point for you.
1: Yeah, it's funny how the it's it's not the ones that you think are the ones that you're gonna hold on to as much.
0: Yeah, I get that. Yeah. In a in a very different context, but we are going to move into our speed round now. Oh, all right. So you're ready. Look, I see you. Um, <laughs> so just to start. Describe yourself in a word or two. Tenacious. What motivates you?
1: Injustice. Mm
0: -hmm. What keeps you up at night? Failure. Who is the most influential person for you,
1: who has been? Dr. McWaigge, without a
0: doubt. And what is one thing in business that you are so happy you did?
1: Wow. You know what? It goes back, I didn't answer this, fully partnerships.
0: Okay, yeah, we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, What's most important for your mental health?
1: Hmm, That's a fantastic question. Um, Well, you know what, music.
0: Okay. What's one thing you were wrong about?
1: That I could make this much of a dent in the world.
0: Ah, I like that one. How do you personally continue to learn and grow?
1: Uh, actively, <laughs> you know I'm, I make sure I read a certain amount every day um and and staying grounded by always going back to the field at some point. okay. That's the greatest teacher
0: by going back every time. Where are you ten years from now?
1: Wow, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a I I know it's a speed round question, but I've,
0: I know some but that's of a, that's
1: a tough one. <laughs> that's fair. Um, same position, but, um, hopefully scaled a lot larger. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. What does leadership mean to you?
1: Oh, um, it, it's pushing from the bottom.
0: That was our speed round. You can relax.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, You had some good answers in (laughs) there. Did some surprise you?
1: Actually, some did.
0: Yeah. Legit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's part of the fun, you know? Um, And we're going to talk about some of those people that kind of influenced Mm -hmm. you along the way um, in just a minute. But you mentioned every day continuing to read to be mm-hmm. able to learn and grow mm-hmm. are there specific things that you're reading that you can share with us are they to do more with uh the program itself and like how to help it or do you just read everything and anything
1: it's pretty much anything and everything yeah no I I, I like to cons- I'm a voracious reader that way
0: and do you have a book that's moved you in the last little while that you'd recommend for our listeners hmm.
1: well um I Did recently finish uh, Barack Obama's memoir. It was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. The most influential book I've ever read in my life was at 15 years old. Okay. Was uh, the biography of Joseph Campbell. Okay. Who was a mythologist. He took archetypes out of mythologies and religions. And the way he just laid out the world and the universe on how we're hardwired for certain themes and how humanity works that way was groundbreaking for me. Um, and the other part was he just demonstrated that you can actually the way he laid out his biography, he demonstrated you can lay out your life in any way you want. You didn't have to go, you know, to whatever those normal sort of provisional steps are.
0: That is a great thing to learn at a young age. I you know, now we have more programs in schools for entrepreneurship and things like that, yeah. but for a long time there wasn't any of that. And smaller schools at lower budgets still don't have that. Yeah. Um, so there's the narrative of, you know, go to college or university or Get a blue collar job, right? Mm-hmm. But now there's a big in between. There's a lot of things that we can do that aren't those that traditional path So it's, that sounds like a great thing to have realized at a sooner date.
1: And it's fun to have more disruptors in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of disruptors, <laughs> let's talk about Dr. mc, mc Say McQuigge. it for me, McQuege, Dr. um He's a Nobel laureate. Yeah. You work with him. That's yeah. pretty cool. What yeah. is, What is that like <laughs> to have a friend who's a Nobel laureate?
1: Yeah, uh, I've known him for a long time now. Um, I got to say it still blows my mind daily. I think another lesson for entrepreneurs is is to never get too too jaded. Okay. You know, for example, like I still and this is not to name drop but I still uh, I sometimes sit and I text with them and I my brain goes I'm texting with a Nobel Peace Prize laureate to, like right. what but like um or you know if I go to a friend's show who might be a huge stadium band and I'm backstage with them. We're talking like friends. The house lights go off. They go on. I turn into a little kid immediately. And I'm the fan. Right. So I think it's important not to lose, uh, you know, the, those things. But uh, I'm sorry about Dr. Dr. McCoy. Um, I, he's somebody I wish everybody would meet. Okay. For, you know, for a number of reasons, because he's just, he's connected in a different way. And this all sounds very cheesy. I understand. But... You would feel his presence before you saw him.
0: Interesting. Like
1: I can tell when he's on hospital grounds and when he's not. Like, it's it's unbelievable. The energy just the energy. passes
0: through the whole yeah. space.
1: Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. He, he it's like he sees through time.
0: Do you think he knows that he has that impact on others? He does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's still human, and and he 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 definitely knows. It's it's sincere. Um. Yeah. But he 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 definitely knows, and but what he's taught me is again, is that there's truly selfless people out there. I mean, here's a man who has survived multiple assassination attempts. The last time I saw him in October, we talked about his latest round of very serious death threats. He, when he's not traveling internationally, he lives in the hospital under guard. He needs nine armed guards just to go to the washroom. Yeah. And that's his daily existence. Mm-hmm. He's threatened all the time. And can can use the work. He could be anywhere in the world, being a surgeon, a professor, anywhere, and have a cushy, very good life. And it's not him. Right. He literally gives every penny away that he gets from his prizes and right back to the women.
0: That's amazing. And that's when you realize like, the people winning those awards are so much to be looked up to. And I think we do, but without that direct kind of context that you have, it's hard to really kind of understand what they're giving up and what they're giving to be able to do that work, which earns them, yes, an award, but a lot of, like a hard path to be able to do that every day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you take it on a long-term basis. You know, it's one thing to do something for a short period of time, but to say, hey, this is, you know, 65. This is my life. Yeah, You know, this is it. Folks, that is astounding. You know, 20 years ago, his first hospital he built, um, he had to leave to another town. He came back, it was burned down, and a Rwandan rebel group slaughtered all the patients in the bed so he would see it. And it obviously broke his heart. But did he stop? He went, oh, okay, we rebuilt. And you know what I mean? Wow. And, and it's just like, and in, in those sort of things happen regularly. So that's, it's just invaluable lessons I get from them constantly.
0: And one thing that's so interesting with these conversations that we're having is, you know, we need to keep, we'll keep moving in the conversation here, but mm-hmm. I could just stop after what you just said and just sit with that for a while. And I probably will later, you know, and, and press pause if you're <laughs> listening and you want to just take a minute with that, everyone, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you have had some really cool collaborations. Mm-hmm. And at this point, though, you've done some really cool collaborations that got a lot of kind of visibility too mm-hmm. around them. And, and that's great. So, for example, Song for Africa and Sunday Bloody Sunday, where yeah. you had a bunch of different artists collaborate on those kind of projects. So partnerships and collaborations have been a neat way to kind of propel a little bit mm-hmm. what you're doing. Did they make a huge impact on visibility and Potentially, you know, getting more funders, getting people to notice what it is that you guys are doing so you can continue doing more.
1: You know, uh, it, it, you know, it, it gives you bumps in visibility. Yes. Um, but what it actually ends up doing, what I've realized it informs you how to run the work better. Okay. So, so by learning by those partnerships, you know, for example, with the healing and harmony program, um, even though make music matter has a large staff the operational staff are all local. We work with local partners, right? No, no, no one's parachuted in, um, to take a job away from somebody they don't need. So wherever we work in the world, be it Congo, Rwanda, Peru, Turkey, it's a local producer with a local therapist. Um, and so it's those value and those partnership is actually what makes the program successful. And the only way you build those partnerships is trust the hard way. The, that's the, only way you can't buy it you can buy it short term and i've seen charities do this they come in you know if you come in into a vulnerable community that's desperate to survive yes uh an ngo can come in parachute in give money everyone's happy but when there ever there's a bump in the road or when the program ends it goes right back to where it was mm-hmm. but if you do that extra mile and make sure it's all local partners uh, doing, you know, conducting the programming and having that trust, you get through the hard times because then the community owns the program too. And right. they say, oh shoot, funding was delayed for a month. Okay. We trust you. We're going to, we're going to keep at it. And, um, that's the stuff that's critically important. Mm-hmm. So that's what's informed me. So I had, I'd learned that lesson. So when I did Sunday, Bloody Sunday, which was on a whim, quite frankly, from the concept of getting the idea to being released to the world was five weeks.
0: Yeah, which which it sounds it's like it's staggering. pretty fast in the staggering. music industry, especially Mission. with many different people on a track like that.
1: Yeah, and and that was not not to brag, but that was hard built trust. So all those artists, you know, the the Billy Talent guys, Somebody One and Blue and all those people that were on you know on the track, they they knew and trusted me. Mm-hmm. So when I made the call and said, hey. You have two days off from your summer tour.
0: Want to spend it with me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everyone said yes. Within a week, I was in a studio with all those people. I'm calling them.
0: And I mean, those those things sound like a lot of fun. And those are the pieces where you can use your music producer background, right? And kind of get back, get into some of those pieces in in like the old way that you were used to maybe a little bit before. Um, And so now you come to a point where... You you have this visibility and things from those. That's nice, but it's but it sounds like it's so much more than that. And it's really cool that you mentioned that it influenced the actual content of what you were doing. Because yes. I, I wouldn't have seen that parallel.
1: And and that's, you know, and it, it the, the truth is the, the more you do it the older you get. That's what's more important.
0: Talk about Fox Lake Cree Nation mm-hmm. in Canada, because a lot of this work you're doing is international. Yeah. We have people who have suffered traumas in our country. Mm-hmm. For example, residential schools is one of them. Um Was it actually difficult to set up the project here in our own country? Has it been working in the same way?
1: Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a great question. Because, you know, for years when I would give public interviews or lectures here, the first question that came from the audience was, why aren't you doing this here? Sure. And it's not like we didn't want to, you know. (laughs) Um, but But we don't, again, we're not cookie cutter. So we need to be invited into a community. The community has to- Trust you were just talking about. Exactly. And we need to analyze that there's a holistic approach to what the community is doing. So, you know, for example, what if we heal somebody's trauma so they can sort of function again, but there's zero economic opportunity. You're setting them up for failure. You're, You're just creating a bigger problem down the road. So we won't go there. Mm-hmm. You know, so that it takes a lot of time and analysis before we decide to go somewhere. So we, we've we been wanting to work in these communities for a very long time. Um, and it wasn't until uh, Robert Wavy, the president of Fox Lake Cree Nation, saw us and completely got it. You know, and but even with that, that took many meetings. That took, I can't remember if I've been there two or three times at this point of, of just getting to know the community myself. The last time I went there, we Brought the equipment and just did a test and showed, you know, the elders on how it works and how we how we can adopt to their local cultures and their local languages. Mm-hmm. And within literally ten minutes, we had a major breakthrough of of two women that were uh, seriously violated when they were young and never spoke about it. And, and within ten minutes, it was you know we made that breakthrough. Wow! But that's again, it goes it goes back to trust. And and never cutting corners. Because if you do cut corners, and there's been many times in the past, I think it's an important note for entrepreneurs in any business, you have the desire to break the, like you wish you could make things quicker. You know, uh, I spent 10 years getting to the starting line. Of course, it would be nice if it was quicker at times. Mm. But if it's quicker, you don't have, you don't build the skills and the capacity to maintain success. So it's, what's the point? You right. know, so it has to it has to be done that
0: way and it it makes you stronger in the long run yes yeah, yeah. your whole system and what you've set up i understand from from other conversations it really has this ability to build empathy resilience but also mm-hmm. um affect some of our everyday behaviors like mm-hmm. people outside of the program even what can you speak to along those lines like can it help me be to just know about this right to understand what it is the work that you guys are doing I feel like there's certain ways I want to be a better leader already, you know, just in speaking to you. But what are some of those lessons that are broader that maybe we can take from this?
1: With us, it comes through the dissemination of, of, of the music. And there's two pieces to that. One, normally, say, in a humanitarian context, it's always a journalist or a student doing a dissertation, coming in, doing these interviews, Right. So their stories are kind of run through the bias and prism of the journalist or the student or whatever, right? Right. It's not really very pure. It's more about the journalist writing about it. It's more, frankly, about the student doing his or her dissertation than it is about the person, right? There's there's a disconnect there. What the music does, and again, allows a direct voice. It's their song, their words, their melodies, their singing direct to the world, so you're kind of getting it unfiltered, un you know unfettered, uh, which is one a lot more powerful. Second, I hope it starts to to lift the veil that we seem to have still, which has long been lifted in that context. So when I first started this years ago, there was still a separation. You'd go, you'd come home, and there again there was there was a separation. But with technology and, um, you know, with, with, with tech, as you know more about tech than I do, <laughs> sure. uh, it, you know, everyone has a pay as you go cell phone. You know, the penetration rate for cell phone in Africa is the highest in the world. Right. So you can be in an active conflict zone where the bombs are dropping, but you have a cell phone because that's your bank, it's your everything. Because of that, the people in these contexts understand their place in the world equation much better. They can't really fool them anymore. So en masse, people understand that. Hold on a second. I'm working in a mine where I'm getting literally raped. And my kids are enslaved in this mine. So the minerals can go out and end up in our iPhones. And you live like this. This is not like... They un people, you know, they understand this en masse to hundreds of millions of people now. And that is gonna co- that is already causing a huge problem in the world. So I really hope empathy can be a hokey word, but I really hope that music builds, you know, empathy into some into some action because it's already happening over over there. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: That's a wonderful message. And I think it's also you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, I've been thinking about starting a not-for-profit or an international, you know, humanitarian project or or charity, um, there's room for it. And there sounds like there's going to be even more room in unique ways that can leverage the technology skills that maybe you and I do have um, as this continues to evolve and as people continue to be able to see all that information that you're you're referring to there. Um, Darcy, I feel like we could get deeper into this topic for quite some time, Um, but that is our show for today. Um, I know. So um, Darcy, if people want to learn more about this amazing work that your organization is doing, Make Music Matter, where do they find you or or learn more about this? Yeah,
1: please just simply go to makemusicmatter.org. I can find out all the information where we're working, what's coming up in our programming, where we're expanding to, and there's links to all the music
0: out there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll put some of that in the show notes too. So if people want to understand a little bit more about this topic, it's it's quite a unique one, what you've created here. Um, We'll put all that in our notes. Thank you. Thanks, Darcy. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, visit startpodcast.ca and be sure to rate and review us wherever you're listening. If you're new to the show and want more Canadian business inspiration, subscribe before you go. Start Canada podcast is produced by your host Margot Miller with audio and visual creation by EventPro and support from Dunor Systems. Start Canada podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank.